Good morning, Mercy Road. How are we doing? Hey, if you're in person or online and I have not met you, my name is Pastor Mike Lotzer. Privileged to worship with you today. We're starting a new sermon series on the letter that is 1 John. It's a collection of sermon series. Hey, I learned recently that in the 1800s, there was a guy who was kind of a self-taught archaeologist, and he became fascinated with the ancient city of Troy. And he was convinced that he could find it. And so he embarked on a multi-year journey. He had a shovel under one arm, and the Iliad, the Iliad is a classic piece of literature by Homer, under the other arm, he thought that if he could read carefully enough the Iliad that chronicled the Trojan War, uh, he would find the ancient city of Troy. He was laughed at by the academic community, this unskilled lunatic uh, going to find the ancient city of Troy. Well, two years later, he found it. And that's what happens when you do a little digging. He, he did some physical digging, but he really believed that in this book, the Iliad, if you paid close enough attention, there were clues to where this city was. And, and that's a good metaphor to set up what we're doing in this new series. Some of our sermon series at Mercy Road are more topical and high application. Some of them are a deeper dive into the scripture, really looking for the clues kind of section by section about reality. And that's what we'll be doing over the next few weeks in the book of First John. I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation. That'll be on the screen. Uh, we're starting right at the beginning, First John chapter 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is God's word. So the New Testament is written in Koine or Common Greek. Greek is a gendered language, like Spanish is a gendered language, so pronouns can either be masculine, feminine, or neuter. And what's interesting about this little section, scholars will say, as John opens up this series of short sermons, scholars will point out that it's intentional, his use of the neutered pronoun. Because one would expect to say, see the word who, but instead it's not who, it's that which was from the beginning. John is trying to communicate such a big idea here, such a mind-blowing concept, that he wants us to, to really enter in with a sense of wonder. And you see as you, you read his words and as he gets going, he's talking about Jesus, so it is personal. But he's really drawing us in, saying something has happened here that, that should just shatter all of your categories for understanding. And, and it's hard to describe that which was from the beginning, that which what we have heard and seen with our eyes, and he calls it it, and then, he's, and then he personifies it. This is where we get the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. He's pointing to something bigger than one member of the Trinity. He's saying the author, the creator of everything, the triune Godhead, 
has done something incredible. And if you're taking notes, the first thing I'd like us to notice here is this. The uncreated creator has become part of the creation. You know, in the 1960s, uh, a Russian astronaut, they called them cosmonauts, went up into space, and that was an atheistic regime. And the astronaut said, I went up there, I looked, I didn't see God. So God must not exist because, you know, I had, I had the bird's eye view up there and I just didn't see God. C.S. Lewis, the apologist, countered that uh, logic. And he said, you know, that's not how it works. You don't just go to space and confirm that God's not there, so God must not exist. He said, think about it logically. If there is a God, the relationship we would have to this God would be much closer to what Hamlet would have with Shakespeare. Shakespeare wrote a story, Hamlet was a character. So he writes this, in one sense, if Hamlet were to explore this world, his world, he wouldn't see any evidence of Shakespeare. He wouldn't find him in outer space. In another sense, however, Hamlet would see evidence of Shakespeare everywhere. He would be living in the world that Shakespeare made. The existence of this world entirely depends upon its author. But for Hamlet to know Shakespeare personally, intimately even, the author would have to write himself into the story. Hamlet could initiate nothing. For the two to meet, it must be Shakespeare's doing. This is the basic claim of Christian narrative. There is an author to our story, to our world, and if ever we would meet this author, it will not be of our own initiation. The author must act. He must write himself into the human story, and he has. He has. As the apostle John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. The same author here is writing letters to a group of churches. He's teaching them about our relationship with God and how that impacts our relationship with each other. But the first thing he wants us to to do is just stop in a sense of amazement and wonderment and say, hey, the author wrote himself into the story. He's come after you. He didn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. And he's created something, whole world, whole creation, whole timeline, and you as a creature, and now he has become a creature. Anybody like uh, Marvel movies, the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Do you recognize this guy on the screen? That's Stan Lee. If you don't like all these Marvel movies, I think there's been 40 of them. They just keep coming like waves, you know. It's Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, Thor, Thor 1, 2, 3, 4, 4, you know. Ant-Man 1, 2, 3. If you don't like them, you should blame Stan Lee because he spent the better part of his youth coming up with all these characters and writing comic books. And when... Hollywood got a hold of these things and they could figure out they would make millions and millions of dollars by making these action blockbuster Marvel movies, something funny happened. Stan Lee requested to have cameos. A cameo is when the author, the writer, has a little part and they're kind of awkward little cameos, like in Spider-Man and all these different movies. It's just this old guy that shows up and he's a bus driver or he's a janitor and he makes a little line. And if you didn't know that he wrote all this stuff, you would think, What's with the random old guy that just doesn't seem to have a strategic part? He just kind of shows up and makes a wisecrack, and then he's gone. He had to travel to many different countries. He's done over 20 cameos, 20 different movies. He even did four in anticipation of his own death. So people are seeing 
these Marvel movies roll out and there's Stan Lee from the grave. Hey, why does Stan Lee go to the trouble to make cameos? He's not paid for them. If you've ever created something, something beautiful, and authors throughout history have, have done this, artists have done this, the temptation will be to enter into that which you create. Michelangelo was famous for putting little self-portraits of himself or his family members in the masterpieces that he created, if you look close. It's like he saw the beauty in it, and he wanted to be a part of that world. Flannery O'Connor writes about her stories and how she wrote herself into one of the stories. And the love that she had always wanted, the romantic love, she kind of created that in the story and in some odd way entered into it. The truth is, the author of your story has voluntarily made a cameo. And it makes all the difference. The uncreated creator has become part of the creation. Secondly, if you're taking notes as we do some digging in this text, I believe the text is saying that all who believe in Jesus get connected to the eternal life and power of God. 1 John 1, 3 really gets this. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, that connection with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship is not a word we use as often today. It's, it's not a word that people who are not Christians really use. In fact, if you want to make a non-Christian nervous, just turn up the usage of fellowship. Say, hey, brother, would you like to come over and have some fellowship and break bread with me and we could do some fellowship Bible study? Then you could come to service. We could have some worship fellowship together. Here's from missionaries, aviation fellowship. It's not a bad word, though. There's no better English word to translate a very important Greek word. The Greek word is koinonia. It, it means something like connected, unified com community, honoring God, honoring each other. And that, that's kind of funny to me because when I was going to seminary, I was a manager of a seminary housing unit called Beth Rahim House of Friends in Hebrew, and we only had 22 units. That was quite manageable, but there was one that had over 100 units and you had to walk through the courtyards of that. Guess what that was called? It was called koinonia, because that's what seminarians do. They name their apartments fancy theological terms. But koinonia was kind of a parody of the real thing, because koinonia was filled with crying babies and crowded graduate students, and the garbage didn't get picked up always on time, and it's in Los Angeles, and it was hot, and and it was chaotic, and I remember walking to class thinking, if this is koinonia, I'm not so sure I want fellowship. And that's, that's actually an interesting metaphor when you think about it. How many of us have been in churches that went through a church split or a dysfunction? There was a moral failure of a leader. There was a sect or a group of people that caused a lot of disunity. And the koinonia, the fellowship that John is writing about here, that, that is the goal, right relationship with God, right relationship with others, gosh, it didn't feel like true Christian community. It didn't feel like the koinonia that Jesus died for, that, that, that we are called to live out. Nevertheless, John says, all who believe in Jesus, you get connected to the eternal life and power of God. That's what he's saying. Now, I think as evangelicals, we, 
we stress, and rightly so, this eternal life bit, and that's important. By being connected, believing in the, the resurrected Christ, we will live forever in his presence, and that is the most important thing to understand, and yet, it's not just the eternal life that comes after our death. It's power to live in this life now. And connected power is, is an important thing. I was reminded of this last weekend. I was camping with about five or six families, and we, we registered a little late, uh, and so there was only one electric site. And we got that because we registered, right? You know, it was me and another... another uh, couple, my wife and I, and another couple, and, and we, we were borrowing this large RV, and the RV was beautiful because it was 97 degrees. And if you're a camper, that's fine. You know, you like camping. But 97 degree camper, that's a different breed of, breed of cat. One of our, our friends, they, they weren't in the connected site. They were in the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? Because their iPhone with that little white noise that you need to keep toddlers asleep at night, well, that dies when you're not connected to the power. And the air conditioning that kept us at a very comfortable 64 degrees all night, they didn't have that. They weren't connected to the power. One of them actually left early. They, they had a blackout tent, which turns out in 97 degrees to just make you like a human hot pocket. They just, they just kind of boiled in there. And I felt bad because we're connected and they're not connected. And I'm thinking about this message and I'm thinking, all who believe in Jesus get connected to the eternal life and power of God. They are not connected to, well, maybe they've got the eternal life thing, but they're not connected to the power. Camping jokes aside, do you think it might be profitable just to think seriously for a moment? You, think about it, about this claim that John's making. He says you're connected to the power source because you believe in Jesus. How often do I and do you go about doing some very difficult things on our own power? Some of us, we know that God calls us to forgive other people, but we are living in a chronic state of unforgiveness and bitterness. Why? Because we're relying on our own power to forgive. And maybe God is speaking to you through this ancient series of sermons, this letter, 1 John, this morning, in 2021, and God is saying, plug in. Use the power, the power that I died to give you. Some of us in our fight against temptation or shame or, or untangling the lies that we believe, we're just trying to do this on our own power, and God is saying, plug in. Plug in. Because we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may have koinonia, fellowship with us, and our connection, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The same power that rose Christ from the grave resides in us. Do you believe that? Third and lastly, I believe the text, specifically verse 4, is, is saying this today. Christians get joy full when we welcome new people into our family. Raise your hand if you've been a new grandparent or you've had a grandbaby in recent past. How about a new parent, got a baby in your life? Babies don't make you happy. Babies make you tired. But they do bring you joy. It's not 
the, the impulsive, pleasure-seeking kind of happiness. But when you have that little one in your arms, it's like something happens. There's a welding or something, and you lock eyes with that little one. You see the miracle, and the simple fact that your family has gotten larger, it brings you this intense, overflowing joy. This also happens at weddings, depending if you think they're a good match, I suppose. But, but, but if, the, if the wedding is right, you get this sense that, you know, the families are coming together, they're getting bigger. Do you know where else it happens? Right here, every two or three times a year, we do baptisms. When that, when that new believer or that person who has, has never gone to the waters of baptism, they come out of the water and, and everyone cheers we just have this special sense that the family got bigger. The church of Jesus Christ is the only organization that exists for people who do not yet believe and do not yet belong. We live for them. Of course, we live for God, but we live for those who are not plugged into the power, who are in a non-electrical site, metaphorically speaking, in a blackout tent, For the joy set before him. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Scholars debate, what is the joy that is set before Jesus Christ? Is it honoring the Father? Of course, it's honoring the Father. Is it redeeming the creation that he authored from the beginning of time that is being fractured by sin? Of course it is. Wouldn't you want to save a masterpiece that you put all of your effort into that was in peril? Of course it is. But more personally, you know this is true. You feel it in your bones. It's you. Not that you're so darn lovable, but man, does his love make you lovely. Make me lovely. Jesus Christ, the author of it all, voluntarily makes a very strategic cameo in the story that he authored. He voluntarily is tortured on the cross. But somehow he's willing to do this because there's a motive strong enough, a joy that's set before him beyond the cross. The joy is making the family bigger. It's bringing you along, and you along, and you along you along. So maybe there's a joy set before us, just like there's a joy set before Jesus. I believe that's what John's saying. John is saying, you know what it feels like to be a new grandparent? You know what it feels like to hold that baby for the first time? You know what it's like to see a, a wedding that just really seems right and the group's coming together? You know what it feels like to watch those waters of baptism part and someone come out and say, I'm part of the family? He said, make that the joy that's set before you. That's why we share our faith. That's why we invite people to church, not just to build an organization. We want to build a family. I heard a wonderful little narrative about Dwight L. Moody recently. And uh, he, he had this really interesting promise he made to God. He said, I'm going to tell at least one person about you, Jesus, every day. Not necessarily preach it. I mean, he was a famous preacher and evangelist, 
But he said, no, every day I'm just going to at least tell one person, somebody who's, you know, helping me at the store, somebody I bump into in the streets. And he was traveling from London, and he was really tired because back then you had to do it through a steamship, and he was kind of sick, and he got there, in the, like, almost in the middle of the night, and he was falling asleep, just drifting off, and the, there was that little nudge. The author of the story kind of nudged him and said, remember, you know, you didn't tell anybody. And Dwight Moody was tired. He said, oh, my gosh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell five people tomorrow. I just need to go to sleep. And there's that nudge again. And it's pouring rain. And so he gets up in the middle of the night, and he walks out to London Bridge, and he sees a young man just standing drenched in the rain. And he holds an umbrella over him for minutes. And he just instinctively knew that's kind of what he needed more than anything right now. Dwight Moody in his biography points out, sometimes people just need somebody to hold an umbrella before they're receptive to our words. Long story short, the the young man was thinking of jumping. He was going to kill himself that night. And at two in the morning, an obedient, tired, and a little bit cranky Dwight Moody finds himself holding an umbrella and leading him to connect to the source of eternal life and power. The man went into ministry. His life was never the same. Who knows what could happen if you held an umbrella for somebody? Somebody you don't even know, but somebody who God brings across your path. And and you just say, Lord, you have my lips and my umbrella. Because the joy set before you was me, and the joy set before me is this person made in your image. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, We write this to make our joy complete. Next week, we'll move on into the next section of the text. We'll take about four or five verses at a time. You're welcome to read ahead. It has been a privilege to worship with you. We do have prayer in the chapel available if you'd like to spend some time as an individual or a family or ask a prayer minister for prayer. And uh, Dick and Mary have a table set up uh, if you'd like to give a donation to them. There's a little basket there. Uh, But do stop by and encourage them and hear more about their ministry. Now, would you stand as we close the service with a benediction? It simply means good word. My friends, may the uncreated creator who became part of his creation bless and keep you this day and this week. May his face shine upon you and give you great peace comfort, and power as you stay plugged in to the source of eternal life, love, and power. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, see you next week.